Intentionality. Intentionality is key. Today, we're going to talk to William Bust about his experience of intentional mastery and intentional joy. William has written a book called Intentionally Mastery, and in it, he explains the steps we go on from being an early stage to novice and explorer, to moving ourselves up to become a practitioner and expert, and then making a choice to move to mastery. I love this conversation for a number of different levels. One is I think I really see myself in some of the conversation there about where I've got to in that journey in life and what I want to do is my next stage of leaving a legacy. So if that's you where you've reached that point where you're great at doing what you're doing and you want to go to the next bit, listen to this conversation. See what you can take away. William talks in this conversation about how he listens to other people's questions and how he listens to radio shows and says here's what he can hear and says how he asks a better question to go deeper and deeper. So as you listen to the podcast, take away from it what you can do. Where would you ask different questions? Where would you look at how to improve your mastery at your level of whatever you do? As I always say, I can't hold you to account. You can listen to the podcast, take bits away from it. Only you can do that. And I think that's the key with intentionality. It's understanding for yourself. How do you score yourself to improve your game, to become better at what you want to do so you can deliver your benefit to the world? So welcome to William Buse to the show. I hope you enjoy the show. Let me know what you think of it. Let me know how I can help. And as always, if you know of other guests like William who've got the passion for doing what they do, please let them know we're out here. We'd love to speak to them. Purpose helps us drive this podcast together. And we'd love to bring more of that to you through 2023 and beyond. Enjoy the show. Good morning, good day. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Phil Rose. I'm the host of the Sparks by Ignium podcast. And today I'm delighted to welcome our first recorded guest of 2023, William Bust. William and I have not ever met properly, but we've had conversations over Zoom to talk about some of the things he talks about with regard to intentional mastery. And today I'm delighted to welcome another speaker, another author, and a business mentor, William Bust, to the show. William and I are going to talk about a number of different things. And I think we're going to lead with some of the areas around his book around intentional mastery to see what that means. We're going to talk about some of the things around being joyful and what it means to William, but also how he brings that to life with his mentor partners and his clients he works with to help them find their purpose and deliver what they truly need to do. Before I talked to him, William actually sent me a copy of his online audit as well, which we might talk through because there's some fascinating results for small and large businesses and individuals about how they can up their game and do things differently. So without further ado, I'm going to delve into William Bust and find out a bit about him. So William, welcome. Tell me a bit about how did you get where you are today as a Kickstarter? Hi, Phil, and thanks very much for, for having me on. Um yeah, where did it where did it all start? Well, I I've had a career in insurance before I yeah. um, started my own business about twenty years ago, um, and I in my insurance career I'd been working with uh, project teams towards the end of that career, um, putting together project teams to deliver new products, new services in the in the insurance industry, okay. and I what I found I really enjoyed that whole process of of creating the team and creating the new products new services and thinking through all of the challenges that those bring and I think I was sitting in the pub with a friend over a pint of beer as you do and we were just chewing the fat around what it would be like to run your own business and one of the things that they said to me was that actually that's what I'd been doing for the last few years within a large organization was effectively setting up uh 
new startups and getting them off the ground and, and getting them working. Wow. And and that was a kind of prompt to me to think, but actually I'd quite like to explore how I can do that and support people over a, a whole variety of businesses. And that's how I decided to start my own business, wow. um, which as I say, running up to nearly 20 years ago. And it seems in some ways it seems like yesterday. It's yeah. uh, It's been a, uh, we're going to talk about joy later, but it has been a joy to do that. Um, so I, I took, you know, the experience, the knowledge that I had of, of working in a, a, a larger business and set up my own small business and started yeah. helping businesses to grow and develop and sharing the, the knowledge and experience that I had. And of course, getting new knowledge, new skills and new experience in doing mm-hmm. that too. So it's been a fabulous journey for me I've, and, and I've loved every minute of it. That's interesting because a lot of people, you know, we we often talk to business owners in our in our careers about that journey they've been on. Um, and a lot of people, you know, we, we go through the peaks and troughs of businesses we do in life as well. Um, and I think we often look at the the context overall of how it's been for us. And I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they explain that context to you. So I'm hearing there that actually that joy comes out of it. But actually, you've, you've enjoyed the journey. It, you know, you've been through, as most business owners will have been through, peaks and troughs. You've you've survived the 2008 recession. You've been through that. But I'm hearing a context there of something that's a, a grateful to be where you are. But actually, you've delivered and you've you've been delivered to a great business that's really worked for you. So I wonder, what, what, what is it, do you think, that enabled you to see the glass half full as opposed to glass half empty in your business in that 20-year period? It's, uh, so it's a, another great question, and, uh, and you raise a, an important changing pivot point, if you like, in my business, the 2008 recession. Um, at that time, I had a number of clients who almost at the same moment uh, basically said, you know, we're, we're not able to carry on working with you for you know a variety of reasons in that recession, but, but mostly because they were just being cautious with money. Um, and so I had a business that went from being really, you know, quite a good turnover to one that had quite a small turnover very quickly. Wow. And um, it wasn't an easy time. And it wasn't a time when probably when I did see the glasses half full, um, you know, it probably was a period when I was feeling a little bit down, a little bit mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. But it was completely outside my control, you know, and it's it was something that, uh, I could, you know, shout at the shout at the sky and say how unfair it was, but that wasn't going to change it. Yeah. Um, and I um, looked, you know, took a step back and said, you know, uh, partly pull yourself together, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, have a serious conversation with yourself and, and get yourself sorted out. But also, you know, asking questions of myself like, you know, what really are the skills that you have? Yeah. What are the things that you really know well? And this is partly where the the understanding of what mastery is yeah. started to form. Um, and when I looked at what those skills were, you know, the ability to look at life with a slightly different perspective, yeah. to look at business with a with a view of, you know, this has happened, but what's the right reaction to it? Yeah. And applying that to my own business, you know, what I said was most people right now are stopping doing marketing because it's kind of an optional cost. Yeah, yeah. It's not really. I'm going to go in the other direction. 
I'm going to do more. So I ramped up the marketing that I did. I did more networking. I talked to more businesses and started getting more referrals and mm. built the business up again. Um, it's really and- interesting, isn't it? Because I think you're right. At times, times like that, a lot of people pull up the drawbridge. They stop recruiting. They stop marketing. And I think it's a really telling thing, isn't it, there? Because actually it is about my, you said about you know looking at life with a different perspective. It is about seeing that from perspective. And as you said, you can't see marketing as a cost. Marketing is something you need to be doing all the time. You cannot not market. Everything you do says something about you. And I, I liken this to, um, I live in a small village. And when I moved here, there were four pubs. And pubs, I think, are a good indicator of you know village life. There is now just one. And mm-hmm. one of the other ones closed down just after lockdown. And it closed down because it got its marketing wrong, I believe. And in fact, it did two things wrong. One is it, it, it failed to open during lockdown, whereas the other pub invested in infrastructure and said, we need to spend money to get us through this. And as the result of the end of, end of lockdown, one pub survived and one hasn't. And I really believe it's about that mindset, about seeing life with a different perspective. What can you do to drive that growth? Because in the end, it will become good, but it might cost you something now. And I think that's a really interesting perspective on things. It's a fabulous point. And I uh, have an example from my own uh, knowledge. There was a restaurant um, friend, a restaurateur friend of mine, uh, who at the beginning of lockdown, you know, effectively his business is closed down by the government mm-hmm. for an unknown period of time. And he said, I don't know when I'll be able to open my doors again, but I've been waiting for an opportunity to refurbish for a couple of years. Yeah, great one. And so that's what he did. And of course, he couldn't get workmen in for a little while. So he did quite a lot of it himself. He said, you know, I'm not I'm not serving food. So I can, you know, I can paint walls and I can clean windows and I can, you know, do all of that stuff. And so when lockdown ended, he had a brand new refurbished restaurant. He was able to, you know, get hit the ground running Mm -hmm. and provide a fabulous experience for people that brought them back into the restaurant. And he's never looked back. Yeah. So it's that kind of how do we look at what's happening in the world and see it from the perspective that helps us mm. rather than the perspective that hinders us. Yeah. And, and another example of that, I'd use, you know, there's a lot of talk about the cost of living crisis and the recession that we're yeah. apparently about to go in. And um, I think the the GDP figures were were published today. Actually, there is still a tiny bit of growth in the economy. Point one percent. is minute. So that's 0.1%. That's 10p in every £100. It's not not a lot of money either way. But equally, even if the recession was to come along and the the economy was to shrink by, let's say, 5%, it's 5%. (laughs) It's, you know, if you were turning over a million pounds, that means next year you'd turn over 950 if you're an average business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we can all outperform the average if we put the right work in. So, you know, that's it, it's a problem, yeah, not yeah. denying that it's not, you know, it's not what we want as a country. But it's not the big deal that all the media makes of it. And I think if you get sucked into that, it's a real problem. You'll make poorer decisions than you than you really should. I think that's key. And, and interesting, actually, that thing about poorer decisions, I I have a belief, which we all know, that the media drives things. You know, at the end of the day, fear, uncertainty and doubt drive stories. Uh, and and that thing there, you know, in fact, we haven't hit recession, actually, because 0.1% growth means we are not technically in a recession. 
Yeah, that's but the exactly media that. won't see that. You know, the two quarters of negative growth hasn't happened, but the media still sees the negative side. And I think there's something there about that mindset. And you said earlier about, you know, looking at life with a different perspective. There's two sides to every coin. And that side there, as you said, you know, 5% negative growth, 5% shrinkage, let's say. Um, and actually, when you look at it, what size the economy relative to what it was in 2008? We had that big dip and we came back again. The economy is still, and I haven't got the figures in front of me, a lot bigger than it was before. It's a mindset thing. Um, just before Christmas, we were having some work done on our house and the man who was doing the work said, Phil, I have to get the work done before 1st of December. And I said, why is that, Matt? And he said, because from 1st of December, I will be turkey plucking. Um, his father-in-law runs a turkey farm and they had 4,000 turkeys to pluck, um, which is quite a lot of turkeys. Uh, and obviously there was a bit of fear in the market in the UK prior to Christmas with regard to turkeys because of avian flu and also issues around cost of living. Uh, I spoke to Matt just after Christmas. I said, how did the turkey plucking go? And he said it went well, except we had 200 turkeys spare at the end of, end of the period because people cancelled orders. People went and bought other things. People were fearful of not being able to get their turkeys. So they bought frozen ones. And what that happened is it drove that negativity. And the only reason they were fearful is because they read the papers. And the papers said, fear about lack of turkeys. So people went and did something different. And poor Matt plucked 200 extra turkeys, which he couldn't even give away at the end of it. And to me, that media negative spiral caused that business to lose 200 turkeys worth of revenue. And this is, I think, one of the big things, isn't it? When you talked about looking life with a different perspective, to me, there's something in that, I think, which is really key about... Um, you, you said something to me on the on the call beforehand about the curse of knowledge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you didn't mean it in this context. But I think there is a curse of knowledge there where people believe what they read in the papers to be knowledge. But actually, it's not all the case. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. They believe. And it's funny how, you know, if you have a conversation in the pub, they'll either believe it or they won't believe it, depending on who's talking. Yeah. But if they read it in the paper, it's got to be true. Or if they read it on the Internet, it's got to be true. Um, and I'm always mindful that, you know, Google is a fantastic index of what's on the Internet, yeah, but it's yeah. an index of what's on the Internet. It's not truth or lies. It's just whatever's there. Yeah. yeah if you very true. search for something that is on the Internet, Google will feed it to you, but that doesn't make it true. Yeah. It's just out it's there on the Internet. That's all. I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing, actually. Um, so it's so interesting. Let's uh, let's just flip back into where we talked about that. One of the things we talked about, and, and you mentioned this about intentional mastery, um, you, you mentioned to me, and I'd love to, to give you a, a segue into this a bit. You talked about um, there's four types of four types of individual out there, and you use the word explorers, novices, practitioners, and masters or mastery. Uh, and I think it's interesting when you think about it from a Google perspective because uh, I went to a talk. A couple of years ago, by a gentleman called Eric Schmidt, and Eric Schmidt, uh, chair of Alphabet at the time, but also he was well involved with the with the Google startup when it was that stage when he was brought into that business. Um, and at, in two thousand and four, I was part of a uh, a, a, a networking organisation. I met a guy there who was developing effectively the Google of the UK, <laughs> but it never went anywhere. And I think it's really interesting in terms of at that stage they were all a mix of explorers and novices. And I'd love that thing about you said about Google, it's just a, an index of what's out there. What is it you think in that case that helps some businesses make it and other businesses not make it? When you talked about Google, you know, back in 1998, when they floated or, or pre prior to that, actually, um, yeah, nobody had heard of them. 
So what is it that makes some businesses survive and some not? And for people like you who had, you know, you've enjoyed that 20 year journey, others don't. I wonder if we can just get into that a bit. Uh, and and you're talking about the, the 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 journey to mastery that I describe in in my book. Yeah. Uh, and so you know everybody starts out uh, when they know nothing about a topic. You know we're, we're all born with no knowledge to speak of, just what's in, in, instinctive. Mm. And and we're explorers. We're there to gather knowledge. And those as we explore, we get some knowledge. We start to be able to do the things that we do, run our businesses. You know, when I started my business, there was lots I knew how to do, but I'd never run a business. So I was exploring all the ways that that has to be done. Um, explorers become novices as they get the knowledge. Novices become practitioners as they build skills. Mm. Um, the practitioners, as as they get more and more experience, curiously, same root for the word, they become experts. Definitely. And it's the the last transition into the fifth phase of that journey, which is where you find the masters. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, in terms of your question, why do some businesses succeed and some fail? Um, and, and some businesses have a great business idea, you know, that drives directly into a consumer need, and yet it still goes nowhere for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we can all remember that, you know, there's been social media sites uh over the years that have been come and got MySpace was yeah. one. in the UK. There was a um, an online network that I was involved with uh, for a few years called Academy. Okay, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, so w- what is it that those businesses did wrong? And I think the simple answer is nothing. Didn't necessarily mm-hmm. do anything wrong. Okay, that they, they they didn't have the lucky break. Sometimes it is yeah. a lucky break. Uh, and maybe they didn't do enough of the right things. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, um, isn't it? And I think, you know, for things like MySpace and, and Academy, what happened was there were other networks that had more investment in them. You know, MySpace is, uh, was probably superseded by Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Academy, I think, probably superseded in the you know it was a more of a business network probably superseded by linkedin and you know those two platforms over the years have had billions of pounds invested in mm-hmm. the infrastructure and the and the background that gave them the capacity to be able to deliver at volume mm-hmm. Whereas, you know the niche smaller sites couldn't do that yeah yeah have the investment so sometimes it's not in your control and i think it, it's it's always worth remembering that you know this yeah that's yeah. now but 80 percent of startups don't survive their first five years or whatever the number is it's a pretty big number yeah um and you know you kind of think that's a you know a really negative thing for for the british entrepreneurial market and i think you know again different perspective Far from it. It says that out of every 100 businesses that try to do something new and different, 20 of them really succeed. Yes, yes. And, you know, if you go into, you know, when I started my business, I said, you know, there's a fair chance this will fail Mm, mm. because that's what the stats say. So what does that mean I need to do? Does that mean I need to be frightened? No, it means I need to protect my personal finances from my business. Finances. Yeah, I'm only putting in money that I'm prepared to lose because I might lose it all. Um, 
I'm not going to bet the family silver on it. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, <laughs> and isn't was, it? And that was my choice, you know, yeah. and other people will bet the family silver on it. And sometimes that bet comes in and sometimes it doesn't. And I I think it's it's dangerous to put it in terms of, um, you know, you've made good decisions or bad decisions because you can make really good decisions and they mm. can still work out poorly for yeah. reasons outside, outside your control. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you start off, you were talking about how when you were running your business in 2008, you know, you had clients who who chose not to work with you because of their turnover going down. And as you said, you lost lots of business. And you made that point saying it was things that were out of your control. And until you'd pulled yourself together and recognised that, you could have been swallowed up into that. And I think a lot of business owners, especially entrepreneurs, they go on that entrepreneurial journey and they're willing to keep betting the farm on it if they've got a farm to bet. Yeah. But 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 and in the key bit there is, you know, come back to that, you know, the, the valleys that we go through and the peaks we go to in business. Actually, it's a known fact that when we look at the scale and the size of the businesses, some some businesses in the UK choose to be small. And they're happy to be their one person businesses. And we know that in the US, in the in in the UK and others, actually the majority of businesses out there are still those small businesses. Doesn't mean to say they're not good businesses, they're just small businesses. Whereas there's some like you mentioned about Academy and LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, those are businesses that have made it. But Academy was the one that didn't make it for various reasons, whatever it is. And I don't know the story there behind that. But actually, you said about, you know, didn't have the lucky break, didn't invest enough, didn't do enough, whatever the factors are. But it's and, how you then pick uh, yourself yeah, up. And I'm not saying they consciously chose not to invest. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's just the circumstances they were in mm. meant that something else came along. Yeah, and left them in a position that they they couldn't compete mm. without a big investment, and that big investment wasn't something either that they sought or was available. You know, so circumstances play their part in our fortunes. Mm. That's an interesting. Circumstances moment. don't play any part in how we choose to react. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Circumstances don't play any part in how we choose to react. That's really key in that case. So, so what have you, you know, taking that out in your journey in that case, that 20 year journey, and when you talk about intentional mastery in that case, you talk about that journey from, from explorer to novice to, 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 to practitioner, to expert, to mastery. That takes something though to do that, doesn't it? Because there's, there's an amount of growth, you know, there, there's lots of explorers out there, there's lots of novices out there. What is it that from a mindset point of view that enables someone to go from explorer to mastery? It- there's a there's a really important difference actually in that transition from all of the others. So the explorers gathering knowledge to get to novice. Novices are gathering skills to get to practitioner. And an awful lot of the world works with practitioners. You know, the people who do a great job, they 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 go to work, they deliver really well. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, absolutely delivering value, and uh, there's nothing wrong at all with people who choose and lots of them do to say actually i'm very happy here i don't want to keep on developing and pushing my knowledge and skills i want to do my job and do other things as well and you know take take a salary and have two skiing holidays a year or whatever it is that it's about um so those transitions up to practitioner and even to expert which is about getting more and more experience are about filling in gaps, filling in gaps in knowledge, skill, or experience. 
Okay. The few people who choose intentionally, and that's why I called the book Intentional Mastery, mm. you have to make the choice to say, actually, now I want to go another step. I want to be more than an expert. Yeah. They're not looking to fill in a gap. They're spending time appreciating everything that they have that's brought them to here. And in that appreciation, they uncover what has become unconsciously competent and they resurface that competence. They start to see not just what they do, but how they do it, why it's important, why they're passionate about it. They drive to purpose mm. um, in, a, in a much stronger way, I think, than people who maybe understand their purpose, but it's kind of, it's one of the things they understand. They're not using it to drive behavior. Mm. And that appreciation spreads across not just the, you know, if, if we talk about uh, me for a moment, you know, I'm a photographer, I'm a skier, I'm not masters in either of those two things, but I've been taking uh, photographs and, and honing that skill and getting experience for a number of years. And now, you know, some of that photography is sold commercially. It's been mm. used national press and so on so i'm not i'm not i wouldn't call myself a master photographer but i'm not bad yeah but but part of what the photography has brought me is that insights around what it means to take a different perspective and to look at the world through a different lens yeah through a lens I'm obviously yeah. using photographic language here deliberately but but i've brought that into the work i do as a business mentor with my clients and so, you know, and talk to them about, you know, how could we frame this differently? Mm, that's interesting. Um, how could we take a, you know, a different view of it? What if we were to, you know, throw more light onto this issue or take light away from it? You know, what would happen? And it, and it's that, you know, so I'm the, the mastery piece to me is about appreciating everything that you've that you've learned in your life. And you know, when you do that, you also recognise that nobody else has had the journey that you've had phil you know whatever has happened in your life there isn't another individual on the planet who's had that that specific journey and so you bring that to your work mm. and nobody can copy it and to me that's the ultimate unique selling point that we as individuals bring a unique journey to get to here that if we really truly understand it and can see how we can apply the different aspects of what we know and what we're yeah. skilled at and what we're experienced at, then we can lift our whole our work and the value that we add to people. And that's what I call mastering. I love that. So there's a, there's some key bits in there that I hear though talking about, you know, this this intentionality about it, but it starts with appreciating what brought you here. And 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 when I hear that, I always think about Marshall Goldsmith's book. What got you here won't get you there. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the bit I'm hearing is what you're saying, actually, what got you here is really valuable when you appreciate that journey you've been on and then looking at how you can then use that journey to take you forward as well. Because actually, that's, you said that, you know, that's the uniqueness of it. You and I have got, you know, we've both been in business for a similar length of time, me slightly shorter. But actually, we've been on a different journey and we've come from different backgrounds of what we've done as well. And that's the power of what you're saying there. Um, and I really, really hear that. And I think you also mentioned something as well. You were talking about your, your photography and your skiing. And, I, and I'm just teaching my youngest daughter to drive. And we always all know about that 
journey we go on from you know that that being unconsciously incompetent right at the beginning and then when you start learning to change gear you become consciously incompetent and you have to think it all through but i'm seeing that bit you know she she's at this stage where she's now consciously incompetent but verging on to consciously competent she's not quite there yet but it's going to take a bit longer to get get to that point where she's you know she's able to sit down and do a driving test but even then that's just the beginning and i hear that from that photography point of view because any of us can pick up our phone and take photos that's what technology enables to do mm. but the bit that you you're alluding to there you said you know you're a competent photographer you can frame things and you can see things through a different lens you're developing a skill around that where you're bringing your own uniqueness to it as opposed to just picking up your phone and snapping a picture. And I think that takes some, that takes intention. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think, you know, just on that topic, the one bit of advice I give to everybody who who wants to get better at taking photographs is stop taking them from five foot eight. (laughs) The world, every, you know, all the photographs that you see are taken from standing at head height, pretty much. Um, yeah, very just, true. If you what? just either go higher or lower, you change the view of the picture. It's amazing how that can just make a, you know, what looks like an interesting view become a fascinating one. Yeah, do you know, I love, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? We do it exactly that. Whereas actually if you get down or you see it up from a different place, you see, you, and in some ways that's what our businesses do, isn't it? We enable people, and you use that language just now about seeing things from a different perspective, actually getting down and seeing your business from the bottom, but actually all getting up and looking above it and seeing what's happening as well. I'd love to explore that. I think that's an interesting thing about that, looking at it from a different perspective. So so from that that mastery in that case, to get to that point, um, when you talk about that journey, and I talked about my daughter going through the, the, the car thing, how do people decide to become intentional masters? Because there is a decision point in there. There is a decision point, and I think it's, you know, I touched on this when I said that the, the world has got millions of practitioners in it doing their job, enjoying enjoying mm. doing their job, but very happy to stay where they are. Um, and I think the decision really comes around a recognition that if you just do what you do, then when you stop doing it for whatever reason, because you retire, because you die, because you move on to something else. There's nothing left. There is no legacy. The decision, I think, comes from a desire to pass it on. Yeah, it's interesting. Wow. And, you know, if if we've, you know, the one thing we are, homo sapiens, the thinking, the thinking ape. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we spend our lives gathering knowledge and skill and experience we do it in order to be able to think about it and to think about how we can improve it, how we can make it better. But also, you know, if we have improved it and we have made it better, yeah, then surely we should want to pass that on so that somebody else starts from the place that we've got to rather than ends in the place that we've got yeah. to. That's um, fascinating, and- isn't it? Fascinating story in terms of that, because actually that, that's the decision point there. And that takes a, you know, you come back to that homo sapiens about the thinking ape. Um, there's something there about going beyond what we do today to realise that we've got some skills that we can transfer to other people. And it's about leaving a legacy so other people can pick up where we left off. And, you know, we think that there are famous people throughout history that have, you know, changed the way we think about the world. 
from Pythagoras, you know, in ancient Greece, yeah. you know, we still use his name, um, mm. you know, to, to Einstein and, and, and thinking about stuff that is still causing, you know, present day scientists to mm. think really hard about what does what he unlocked actually mean. Um, I'm not sure that I even begin to understand what he unlocked and it, it doesn't matter. The The point being that, you know, when we when we pass it on, we live yeah. on. Yeah. In that way, in, in the minds and memories of others. Um, and, you know, we see that in, in sport. You see people yeah. play sport, maybe not play it very well, actually, but end up being great coaches. You know, Clive Woodward was never a fabulous rugby player. Yeah. He was yeah. a fabulous coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, the, the, and, and you know, that's an important point, too, is you don't have to be, you don't have to, to do the thing that you're, that you've learned to pass it on. You have to be able to pass it on. And that's a different skill again. That's interesting. Um, and I think that's part of the intentionality. And it's it's partly about having to make the what you know you talked about your daughter learning to drive. She she'll pass a test. She'll, you know, in a year's time, a lot of what she's learning now she won't even think about when she gets in the car. It'll be yeah. completely unconsciously competent. Yeah, she will. Yeah. In her turn. When she's teaching her children, if she has any, to drive in the future, well, I mean, I'm guessing the cars might be very different, but let's assume they're not for the sake of this discussion. She'll have to think about how, as you have had to do, how do I make this unconscious competent conscious again? And yeah. and that's that stage of getting to mastery about yeah. really understanding what you do so that you can teach it yeah. so that you can pass it on. I think there's something there actually. You, you know, using that sport, I, I, I'm I'm a big big sports fan in in terms of doing sport as well as watching sport. Um, more more from an athletics and rugby point of view. Uh, and I look at some of the best athletics coaches, and they weren't the athletes. Uh, and then if you look into the US, you know, often the name Coach John Wooden comes up, you know, as one of the greatest coaches because he had the ability to enable his team to step up and do things. He challenged them differently. And, and I think there's something different there. You know, I'm, I'm a business coach and I was explaining my journey to, to a coaching friend this morning in terms of, you know, I started life as an engineer back in the, the, the late 80s, early 90s. I transitioned into coach, but I still have that engineering mindset because I look at how things are, but I want to break them down. But I use that coaching ability because I realize that's the thing that delivers value. But there is that, that spectrum between coaching at one end and mentoring, counseling, consulting, and we, we go on that spectrum. I don't wonder what it is. From your perspective, if you think about that translation of, of from, from doing as an engineer, in my case, to coaching, what is it you think in terms of, I value the word forgetting knowledge, you know, forgetting how we drive and just getting on with it, drives some of the intentionality and then, then drives that mastery. Because I think that's the key bit. You've got to forget a lot of what you know and actually just accept or almost fall into not knowing. I think I think that's and that's where we get to the the curse of knowledge, as we we talked about beforehand. The curse, that curse, being that the things we know how to do, we've forgotten what it was like not to know. So, you know, we we can't remember. I, I certainly can't remember what was actually happening in my brain and my legs and my arms when I was trying to change gear for the first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, that that recollection has long passed and gone and I can't recall it. So 
that makes it difficult for us and you know in business the same thing I, I i don't remember what it was like to build my first website or to have it built or you know because it was well partly the technology's moved on anyway and yeah, you know, yeah. so it's a very different thing today and though but what we can remember i think is that we remember it wasn't it wasn't easy when we didn't know how to do these things that we were having to be very conscious about each step that mm. we took mm. so, you know to use the driving analogy we have to remember to push the clutch down before we move the gear stick and and that coordination needed practice to get yeah. it right yeah and and over time you also learn just exactly how far you need to move the gear stick to take the car out of gear which is slightly less far usually than you need to push it to put it into gear so you can actually do the movement as the pedal's depressing and if you get that it's all smooth and we've learned how to do that right but we had to practice and practice and practice to get that right but we what we can remember as i say is is that there is that sense of difficulty so one of the things in my mentoring work i'm sure you do this in your coaching work is that we spend time exploring with our clients what is it that they're finding difficult and and what is the nature of the difficulty that they're finding? Yeah. So, you know, if you, I was working with a client the other day and they've been um, for, you know, a variety of reasons looking at, at their budgeting process and they don't, they're not really financially that aware. So okay. budgeting is something they do under protest, probably. Shall we put yeah, it that way? Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were, um, or, or they get their accountant to do it, who comes up with a rather esoteric and dry budget that has no sense of connection to their business. You know, so there's there's a whole variety of issues there because they don't do it regularly. Um, and you know, in talking to them about what's the difficulty here, and and you know, in a moment of frustration, I had asked the question quite a few times, and. You know, the answers were getting a little bit more frustrated because they knew there was something, but they couldn't articulate it. And eventually, in that kind of moment of frustration, he says, It's just because I just don't see the real world on this bit of paper. That's interesting. I thought, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my job now is to make the connections between a dry set of numbers in a spreadsheet, what that looks like, feels like, and tastes like and smells like out in the real world when he's out doing what he does in the business. And so, you know, we spent some time talking about those connections and what, you know, what does an extra 10,000 pounds on the bottom line mean you'll be able to do and what will that look like? What will it feel like? And what will it sound like? And, you know, gradually those connections were made and, and, there was a change in mindset and a change in mood and a, and a realization of why these numbers were important yeah. and how they could help with planning and decision-making that would get to the goal that he really wanted, which was the better business. Yeah. That yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And, and, and interesting, actually, the bit that you mentioned there about getting to the goal of a better business, to me, there's something, again, if I come back to that word intentionality, because, you know, we, we know, and, and again, we know there's lots of just, statistics around the number of small businesses, the one-person businesses that are out there. Uh, and some of those have intentionally chosen to say small, and that's their strategy. They're happy. You know, it's the, it's the accountant who leaves the firm and decides they just want to be a one-person business because that's what they can do. And they can earn a certain amount of money from it, and that's where they, where they sit, and they're happy. 
there are some others who make an intention to grow and they try and do it on their own. And there are some others who take and make the intention to go and they bring in others to help them because they realize they don't know it all. And I think that thing there about making the connections is key because actually when people make the connections in the numbers and they can see what an extra 10,000 will do, for instance, they can also start thinking about, you know, how do I build the business? Where do I want to get to? How do I build a strategic plan to get to whatever my goal is? Yeah. And that takes intention. Other, other, as opposed to just doing the same old, same old, same old, and looking back over 10 years and say, I've always been an accountant. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that whole um, putting yourself in a box, um, you know, I'm an accountant or yeah. I'm a you know, I call myself an author and uh, and a speaker and a, and a business mentor. You know, they're all labels. But yeah. as I mentioned before, when we get to that recognition of all of the value that we bring from all aspects of our life, those labels are, you know, they're just not appropriate, really, are they? They've become almost superfluous. Yeah. And I think uh, in terms of intentionality and, and, and seeking the goals and looking at, you know, what am I good at? What am I not good at? Even in the one that, you know, the the one person businesses, there are quite often other people involved, albeit yeah. as, you know, external suppliers or, you know, most of the one person businesses, certainly that I work with, have got somebody who will do maybe bookkeeping or accounting for them. They might have somebody who, who builds their website for them. They're not using them every day. They're not employees, yeah, no. but there's still a team of people who've been involved in creating the value that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, helping people to see that the value of that team and recognizing, you know, we could, you and I could be working with clients or we could be building our websites and doing marketing and all this. And of course we do a bit of that sort of stuff as well, I'm sure. But thinking about what's the right balance between the things I'm really valuable and really bring value to and the stuff that I can do, but I'm not great at. And then there's the stuff that I definitely can't do. And I'm going to get somebody else to do that. Yeah. It's that middle bit, the bit that's I can do this, but should I? Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, true, isn't it? It's very true. It, it's a bit like, um, you know, if I think about it from uh, a coaching perspective, I think about sport. I, I've run lots of marathons in my, in my time. My knees, are, my knees are telling me now that I've run lots of marathons. So, but when I first started running marathons back in 2007, I also decided I need to do some exercise that didn't put pressure on my knees. So I started getting in the swimming pool and just mm -hmm. swimming. And while I was there, someone said to me, um, maybe you want to have some lessons to improve. So I decided to go and have some lessons. I could swim, but I decided I wanted to become better. Yeah. And in doing that, I also decided that actually another way of taking pressure off my knees to ride my bike. So I ended up falling into the, uh, the track on track at some stage in 2007 of doing the, the swim, bike and run. But I decided that I needed swimming coaching because I'd always been able to run and I could always ride a bike, but swimming I wasn't so fast at. I could have chosen just to get in the pool and read a book and do it myself but I decided to get a coach. Mm. And I think that's something there. Sometimes we do need that external influence to say to us, why are you doing it yourself? Why are you trying to train yourself to swim? Yes, because we could all read the book and train ourselves to swim. But sometimes having that person, giving that external perspective can bring that to say, William, why are you doing your books on your own? Why are you building your website? That's not what you're good at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do it, but you're not good at it. It's not what you get paid for. 
And often, too often, business owners fall into that trap, I think, especially, again, the small business owners of trying to do it all, as you say, and they've not had that external perspective to give them that questioning. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, very interesting because we we share a number of things. I do. Uh, I have run marathons. haven't run them for a long, long time. I ran, uh, I ran London, I think, in 1986 or something like that. Oh, so well, one of the first. Um but these days I do I do long distance walking. So I, last year I walked 100 kilometres uh, across two days for uh, to raise money for Alzheimer's research. Oh wow! Uh, uh, which was which was fun. It was the two of the hottest days in our hot summer, if you remember. It was brutal, um, but but I made it, so that was okay. I also do a bit of swimming um, and um, for exercise and to keep fit. Um, yeah. But I. I'm entirely with you on this. I, my swimming isn't my strong suit. Uh, I can plough up and down doing breaststroke all day long, but I'm not that quick. And it's one of the things I'm just in the process of getting a, a, a swimming coach and having some lessons for exactly the reasons that you say. Yeah. I, you know, I've got to the point where I know I can't improve myself. I need the external view. I need somebody to come along and look at what I'm doing and say, yeah. just tweak that a little bit. Yeah. You know, reach with your hands a bit further forward or don't reach as far or whatever it is I'm doing that's not yeah. optimal yeah. to help me get a bit better. Yeah. I, you know, I applaud anybody who, you know, which I think should all, if we're in business, we should all from time to time, not all the time, I think it would be, you know, that would create a dependency if we were to do it all the time. But from time to time, to involve mentors or coaches to help us look at what we're doing, look at the stuff that we, you know, we maybe come on and talk about joy, but look at the stuff that we really enjoy yeah, um, and, and that we take joy from. And, and how do we get even more joy from it by getting even better at it? Yeah. And, and looking at where are the places we should find support and help from people who get joy from doing what they do you know i i don't do my own books i have a bookkeeper and accountant yeah and they love doing it That's and i do. and i don't mind doing it. it's not that i you know it's not that i hate it i, I don't mind doing it at all mm. but i don't get a lot of joy from staring at an accounting package on the screen and you know allocating things to accounts and they love it so that's fine let them do it and, and, and it's really interesting isn't it because uh, i mentioned eric schmidt earlier and and back in 2017 or 18 i went to see eric schmidt tour hear eric schmidt talk about his book they produced with two others and it was called the trillion dollar coach and it was about his coach bill campbell so when he joined Go google he had a coach uh, and he said one of the best investments i ever made was having bill alongside me to help build me as a business a business leader and that helped build Google. When you, If you ever get a chance to read The Trillion Dollar Coach, you realize that connections that Bill Campbell made for people. But the key bit there was having that outside perspective, having someone else who could watch what you're doing, who's someone who's great at doing it as well. And as you say, the accountants love doing the numbers. You said just now about, though, helping, getting people in who can help you find the thing that's important. And you use that word joy. You know, How can you bring even more joy? Because if you're just stuck in your business and, you know, the, I, I always come back to the book and I look across on my bookshelf, I can still see the E-Myth Revisited, which was the first book my accountant gave me back in 2004. Yeah. And she said along the lines of before you set up your business, go and read this book. Don't get stuck in your own little chocolate shop making chocolates and end up hating it. 
And too often we do get stuck in it because we don't get an external perspective. And uh, and I guess the coach, I'd always say this, you know, I, I do agree with Eric Schmidt. The best thing everyone should do is go and get a coach because they can get that external perspective. Mm-hmm. But I want to come back to that point you made about um, how do we get even more joy? Because that's a key point to actually having someone else because it is so easy to get stuck, in the words of Michael e. Gerber, in your business, doing everything and having lots of different hats, playing, spinning lots of plates and end up hating the business and having to do it. And it just becomes another job. Whereas actually we all set up our businesses if we're, if we're business owners, we all set up our entrepreneurial concern to do something different, to change the world in some way. Or as Steve Jobs' words, to make a dent in the universe. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk, talk to me about this joy, because I think that's, that's something you've mentioned a few times there. And I wonder what that means to you specifically. You've gone beyond mastery at this stage. It's, I mean, for me, the whole uh, point of living, <laughs> I mean, you know, let's get really fundamental, it, is that we, you know, people talk about happiness. I, I'm, I'm not convinced, actually, that we're in this, uh, we're in this life as a search for constant happiness. Life has its ups and downs, and actually, the downs are important. Mm. I think it's more about having an overall sense of contentment that our journey is a, is a good one and that we're making, making a difference within that contentment that there are periods and times when we experience great joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And joy is different for me than happiness. Joy is, joy is about moments when, you know, when things are really truly wonderful. Mm. Um, And I often ask my clients, um, what makes you smile when you're doing what you do? And do you catch yourself when you've just got that grin on your face and you think, yeah, that was good, like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and th- those moments quite often pass people by. Yeah. You know, they, 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 have a, they have a successful meeting, they come out of the meeting with a broad grin on their face, but they don't notice that they're smiling. <laughs> I, I, I love that. And, and they, I'm just smiling now as I think about this. Um, and I'm smiling for two reasons. One is I love having conversations with people like you who bring that type of thinking to me. So that's that's one of the reasons I do this podcast to have these type of conversations. That brings me joy. Um, but I think the bit there is about the pause. It's about noticing, as you said, you come out of this meeting and just notice you've got a grin on your face, and and noticing what you notice in that instant that's brought that grin to your face. Why are you smiling? I think that's a fascinating thing, just worth thinking about. Yeah. What and and what was the chain of events, and how can you do that more often? Yeah. Yeah. If you understand the chain of events that created the smile in the first place, then you can smile more often. Yeah. Yeah. That chain of events. One of the things that that brings me joy is when I ask a question <laughs> to a client that unlocks something fundamental for them, and I spend you know a lot of my time. I, there's a fabulous book. Uh, by a chap called Warren Berger called uh, A More Beautiful Question. Fabulous wow. title, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Um, and it's a book about uh, how to create questions that, that really inspire and motivate and unlock un- insights in people. Um, and it's you know it's one of those skills that I'm constantly working on in my own way to 
you know, think about how can I ask better questions tomorrow from the questions that I asked today? And when I ask one of those questions that I can see, you see it written all over somebody's face when you ask a question that gets to the nub of their understanding and gets them to unlock a level, a layer of understanding of whatever their issue was. Um, it, It just that always puts a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. That's why I spend time working on how can I get even better at this? Yeah, I love that. I, I do, you know, there's a whole other, just, just listening to you talk in that last few minutes, I can see where you get your, your joy from just in doing it. And I, I I'm going to go and look up a more beautiful question. Cause I think that's a, uh, that sounds an interesting book from a, from a technical point of view as a coach, but actually it sounds a fascinating book from a life perspective, because we as human beings, you come back to the thing about homo sapiens, we, we should be looking at, you know, we're, 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 we're joy-making machines. We're here to try and do that thing. And actually, if we can ask better questions of ourselves and others, we can bring better insight. We can just question things differently. And I, I, I then come back to your phrase, you said, how can I ask better questions than I asked yesterday? I think that's fascinating just to think about that in terms of that learning and just say, okay, moving on, what do I need to do differently? And and looking at those questions you ask, and it makes me reflect again of my days as an engineer. And, you know, as an engineer, I was paid for the answers I gave because I had to get it right. If I got it wrong, things stopped working. But as a coach, we, we strive, we thrive on asking better questions. Yeah, we do. It's what we do. It is what we do. I love that as a, as a process in terms of bringing that. Um, so how do you go about doing it? Apart from reading, you know, a more beautiful question, what else do you do to learn as an individual to ask better questions? Um, there's a few things. And it's partly this is about the intentionality that I talk about in the book. Uh, and, and intentionally mastering something requires you to think about not just what it is you want to do but how are you going to get there what's the Mm. what are the stages in doing that so with in terms of asking better questions one of the things that i i'm always listening to is when people are asking questions um you know on the radio for example you some of the political interviews are great examples of appalling questions um (laughs) and, and looking at what have how have they structured that question Mm. And, you know, Rich saw to that on the radio. The Moral Maze on Radio 4 yeah. uh, is is full of questions. Yeah. Uh, sometimes voiced questions, you know, they're actually part of the programme, but sometimes just the process of listening to the programme will prompt questions in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And those questions, I, I kind of take them out of my head, write them down, and then think, right, how could I improve that question? That's interesting. How you know, you what would make that? that question go a stage deeper into the thinking? Yeah. And the reason the moral maze is the example I use is because it is dealing with difficult, challenging issues. And that's where it's getting the question right is really important. Yeah, yeah, um, I love that. I also, you know, I look at um, if I've been doing a mentoring session on Zoom, um, I quite often record them. The recordings never go anywhere because of client confidentiality and so on. But I record them for my own, you know, to help me look back and say, how could I have done that better? Yeah, yeah. You know, this bit worked really well. This bit I felt 
you know, we kind of ran out of steam a bit. What what was it I, mm-hmm. I did there and why did that not work? Because I'm the only person who can improve what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I agree. And, and I love that, you know, in terms of listening as coaches, you know, we often record our sessions for, for our clients' benefit or our benefit, but actually it's listening back and doing something with that knowledge looking at and I, and I love your thing about you know listening to the question you've asked or others have asked and look at how could you take that question a step deeper how could you really drive some real value for the person you're asking the question with and I think that's a, a really powerful piece as well the, um, the the third section of my book is called mastering joy um okay. which is um you know it's it's uh, and one of the things I talk about there which is in, uh, in fact I put a whole chapter to it is so our best results will always be when the work is undertaken with our full attention behind it. And, and the, so I've written a chapter about how best to do that. And I think, um, well, there's a copy of the book winging its way to you, Phil. So you'll be able to. to oh, I, look at, I look forward to seeing that, actually. Um, the, um, and I have a quote with each chapter heading. And my quote on that chapter about being intentional is a Simon Sinek quote, which is, Dream big, start small, but most of all, start. Yeah, yeah. There's magic in it, as someone once said. Yeah, that's um, in the Scottish Himalayas expedition. It's curious that I know that one, but that's in the book as well, which is why I know it. That's interesting. It's, it's um, It goes back to the 18th century when a group of Scottish explorers set off to climb in the Himalayas. Um, and um, it's... Uh, originally a german quote from goethe i think is it yeah um that's interesting I'll have to look at it. To get it right but it's um it's 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 a, it's all about commitment and making the commitment to do yeah. to 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 start and yeah, um, yeah I, I could, it's in the book but i think the key bit there is you know come back to the, the simplified simon cynic version actually you know dream big is the key to this at the end at the start but the, the but the real fundamental piece is making a start making a start that's the key you're not going to get anywhere unless you make that start in the first place there's there's only two possibilities when you make a start one is that you you take a step forward and the other is that you don't for some reason so if you take a step forward take another one mm. and if for some reason you weren't able to take that first step what was that reason fix it and take the first step and both of those are great outcomes yeah. because you're learning. Yeah. And, and to me, the key is that learning piece. The key is the learning itself to actually understand what have you learned from it? Why didn't you take the step forward? Why didn't you get where you wanted to be going? And, and, and so, so this thing about mastering joy, I want to come back to that because I think there's the see that you said just now, you said the best results are, the, are when you're doing things with full intention. So in mastering joy, it comes from that intentionality at the beginning of doing that. And I think I'd love, you know, in the last five to ten minutes of us having a conversation i'd love to explore this thing about joy a bit more and how do you bring that value to your clients because you know as a as a coach you're a you're a business coach you're a mentor you're a speaker but as you said we're all humans at the end of the day so what is it you do for your clients to help them master joy because you're you're there you know you're reaching that that level to you where you can do it you're 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 aiming to leave a legacy now so how do you bring that joy to your clients it's uh, and of course, that's a challenge, uh, and it's not it's not easy, um, especially if I start working with a client when they've got 
some fairly big issues in their business, which is usually when, you know, people reach out and say, can you help? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wish they would do it earlier, but that's human nature that they don't. And that's fine. Um, so I remember I got a call uh, middle of last year from um, a friend of mine who said, I, I really think you could help this other person. And so we got in touch and uh, the situation they're in, they're, and this partly because of um, you know the pandemic and various things that affected the business. They were not doing as well as they had been doing. Money was tight. All of those challenges were there. And he said, the, the trouble is, he said, I've got lots of ideas. I've got about 35 or 40 different ideas about what to do. And I just can't decide which one I should do. Wow. And I hate it. And I picked up on those last three words. You hate it. Um, and it was, you know, it was completely styming them, completely blocking them. And the fact that they hated it, you know, and, and did viscerally. You could when I met and sat down with them to go through these ideas and, and work with them to understand what would be a great strategy going forward. Um, I could see that there was you know, there was a physical reaction to having this list of 40-odd things that they might do. And we spent the day together and we, you know, we came back to that question of what makes you smile? You know, let's yeah. let's look at the antithesis of where you are. What makes you smile? And he said, the biggest single thing that makes me smile is when I know exactly what I need to do and I do it and it works. And, and that brings me joy. He said, but I, I'm right now, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do these things. And I'm wallowing in, you know, an element of, uh, you know, self-discipline, I suppose, that, you know, just wasn't quite right. So I just got a red pen out and said, cross five of them out that don't matter. Yeah, simple. Yeah, interesting. And, you know, suddenly it was 35 instead of 40, and then it was 30 instead of 35. And yeah, yeah. by the time we got down to about 15, it was starting to get difficult, you know, because now they all felt like they were the important ones that were left. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. and then I spent some time with him and, and talked about, again, took a different perspective, stepped off to the side and said, okay, what are the broad themes in this 15? Yeah. And we got to three broad themes and suddenly 40 things became three big themes and it felt a little bit more manageable. And then I asked him, you know, if you can only do one of these tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things about a better question. The tomorrow was really important in that question because I didn't take away the other two. Yeah. Yeah. But tomorrow. But if tomorrow you can only do one of those things, you can do the others later, but if you can only do one of them, which one would you pick to do tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. And and as I say, that tomorrow was really important for him because he wouldn't have let go of the other two and would have fought against a a question that was make a choice. Yeah. But in fact, he made a choice. And and interesting, isn't it? That that choice often is about uh, a lack of clarity around which to do and that lack of clarity comes from i don't want to forget, i don't want to do those other ones because i bet the farm on this one what happens about those other ones and, and it comes back to that that thing about taking risks and sometimes you do need someone like yourself to sit alongside and say 
you know, let's prioritize them. I mean, you know, what are the broad themes that come up here? What are you seeing if you take take five out? And that narrowing down, I think in some ways, people do get literally paralyzed with the complexity of something that should be a really simple thing. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, I was uh, speaking to him again yesterday just for a catch up. And the last 12 months, he's turned over more than he has ever turned over in his business. Wow. And, you know, clearly puts that down to having the focus. He made the choices. Yeah. I just helped him get to the right place. Yeah. All you did was ask great questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, I, you know, at some level, my, my doctor says to me, what exactly is it you do, Dad? I remember <laughs> And I said, well, I asked questions. And she said, well, I could do that. And I said, yeah, you could. Yeah. You? Absolutely. When you've got the experience and learned how to ask the right question, then you can do that. Yeah. And I think this brings us full circle, doesn't it, in some ways, in terms of, you know, think about that journey around, you know, the, the, the start of this conversation about being the explorer, gaining knowledge, moving into become a novice about things becoming a practitioner and you've chosen not to sit at the practitioner level you could just do it do it do it you've stepped up to become an expert and then you're making that next transition and that's the intentional piece and and, and i i love that in terms of um you've obviously made some decisions about legacy for yourself a legacy whatever that means but you want to you know unpack what you've learned over 20 plus years of being in business 20 20 years of doing it for yourself helping other people um, so there's something there that that really leads to that. And, and and the bit that's on my mind there is, you know, you've got this this joy at one stage and you've got this intentional mastery at the other stage. You're combining it into speaking, being an author, um, and the coaching piece. Which is the bit that you smile most at? <laughs> what a great question. Thank you. I love it when they play back. It's fabulous. <laughs> um, for me... As I mentioned earlier, I think that the greatest joy comes from um, seeing someone unlock something that has been getting in their way, uh, stopping them delivering the value that they bring to the world. Um, And just being able to open their eyes to that opportunity uh, and to give them the tools to be able to to take it and, and run with it. Wow that you know and all of the things that i do you know I, I wrote the book because i know that will help some people who choose to take the knowledge i've got in that form and read mm-hmm. the book i speak because it allows me to get to bigger audiences who can hear this firsthand um and i work you know one-to-one and with small groups of people to bring it to individual businesses as mm-hmm. they need it in the fine detail that that you probably need you know you'll get ideas from the book yeah but there's a you know to when you come to implement it it's that external view that i can bring uh, that helps people to just make the right decision for them yeah the book has to be written for you know business people but when i work one-to-one i'm working with a business and so we can be very specific about what needs to happen for that business yeah which is a bit like as we talked about the swimming coaching or the running coaching or the Uh, or or the cycling coaching actually we can all read the book on how to do it my first triathlon book was the triathlete's bible which i've got on my bookshelf and i was given that in about 2006 or 7 but actually it's having the coaching that makes it better when someone can stand alongside you and watch what you do and say phil if you just as you said earlier you just dip your hand in differently if you pull back differently if you rotate your body differently if you breathe differently 
what impact it will have and i think those are the really key questions that, that it's it sounds like you're bringing and i think you know you said about you know seeing someone unlock something that's been getting in their way whether you're a swimmer runner cyclist business owner there's a lot of stuff getting in our way but we're maybe unconscious to that so that's why we should all be picking up a, the phone to the coach and saying i need help you need help well it's partly i was swimming lane swimming the other morning i was swimming behind somebody whose leg action was really weird and i and i was as you do sometimes when you swim. i'm sure this happens to you you know you get into this kind of zen state because you're just going up and down and up and down and up and down and the mind kind of it's a bit like meditation in a way and and i my mind went to well what are your legs doing and i thought i don't know because they never looked (laughs) Because I've never looked, and I, and I haven't got a way of looking. Yeah, yeah. I need you literally need somebody standing on the side of the pool or swimming behind you to be able yeah. to see that. Yeah, and yeah. um and it was you know it was the kind of that was the point. I said I need to go and get a coat. Yeah, I need somebody to look at it and tell yeah. me. I think that's brilliant. Um, so 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 how would people find you? You know, when when someone wakes up in the morning and says, "I need I need William alongside me." How do they? How do they find you? And they find me well. Uh, very fortunately, I have an unusual name, so uh, it, obviously you can Google me. But if you uh, want to find the website, it is just my name, William Bust, B-U-I-S-T for the Bust bit dot com. Um, and you mentioned the audit earlier. If people want to do that and get a bit of feedback on where they are right now on that journey to mastery, um, then that is at audit dot dot com. Lovely, lovely. Really easy, very simple. And I love that in terms of having a having a uniqueness about you. And, and that comes back to that full circle bit around, you know, you've become unique because of the experience you've brought with you. So what's got you here actually is really valuable to you. You can ask great questions. And, and you know, when I looked on your website, I saw three things, thing, three clear things come up for me. And one of them was clarity, one was strategy, and one was implementation. And I think what I'm hearing is actually it's the clarity that really starts that journey for people whittling the ideas down from 40 ideas to if you had to just do one tomorrow which would it be yeah yeah and that sounds a powerful piece so people can pick up with you and actually have conversations there um so b- before we ha- before we hang up the, uh, the 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 microphone for the day i've got one other question for you um and this is to cast your mind back to the young william starting out in business in that insurance world and that question is if you knew then what you know now what would you do differently I think the biggest single bit of advice I can give myself without question is don't take yourself too seriously. (laughs) Love that. Um, It's, you know, this is about the work you do, the value that you bring, enjoy it. Um, Have, have some fun along the way and don't Mm. take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's a lovely thing. And actually, isn't it? You know, when, we always see those type of things put out there, but actually hearing from people who actually are in there and actually enjoying life and, and joy comes out. That's the thing there. So don't take it too seriously. Have fun along the way. Um, great conversation. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other things that we could talk about as well. So it might be that we have a, we have a get together again and look at other, other avenues to explore more of the book. And I'm looking forward to, to reading it, to find a bit about it. And, um, and conversations like this, I think are, are really valuable. Because I think from anyone who's listening to this podcast um, and for me talking to you about it, we can just listen to the questions that are being asked but the, and the answers and learning just about what we can do from it. And I, I take away lots of things there around that intentionality. 
make good choices and in order to make good choices you know you need to be intentional about what you want and why it's important to you and that's you know we get back to purpose and all of those things if you're you know if you're not i know that if people are not clear on purpose you're a great person to talk to phil around that and uh, yeah. helping people to really see where they're going and why that matters to them um and and then making good decisions on the back of that to take you there quickly yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I think that's what, you know, the, the aim of this podcast is to help people just unlock a few things there. And I think in some ways, you know, you said about seeing someone unlock something that's been getting in the way. To me, that's what we as coaches want to do. And that's what I want people to, to just pick up some some key nuggets they can take forward and do things with. So, uh, so William Buse, this has been a, a a great conversation. I've um, I've really enjoyed it. I think there's, there's so much in it. Um, I'm going to reflect on it take things away with it and um, and let's have another conversation. That'd be fabulous. Thanks, Phil. That'd be great. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking. You too. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Bagnian podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there, some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments, because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.